Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. From WBEZ Chicago, I'm Greta Johnson, and this is the Nerdette Book Club. It's just like a regular book club, except you got to bring your own snacks. We are back after a little summer break, and I'm very excited about this month's book club and our discussion buddies. We are talking about Gabrielle Zevin's Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. It is about video games and friendship and creativity and grief. And we are talking about it with Jason Concepcion. He's the host of the podcast X-Ray Vision from Crooked Media. We also co-host the official Game of Thrones podcast about House of the Dragon together. Jason, hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, thanks for coming on. Are you sick of me yet? <laughs> no, not nowhere close. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see how we are yeah. at the end of this conversation. <laughs> we also have with us author Amber Sparks. Her most recent book is called And I Do Not Forgive You. Amber, welcome. Hello. Nice to be here. Oh, thrilled to have you. So we are also going to be hearing from lots of listeners with this one, which I'm very excited about. Here is your spoiler warning. If you have not read this book and you don't want to know what happens, go back and listen to the spoiler-free author interview we have in the feed. If you haven't read the book and you are totally cool with spoilers, welcome. We are glad to have you. A quick plot summary just to kind of get everyone acquainted. This book follows Sam and Sadie. Uh, They start off as childhood friends and... They're in Los Angeles and they become ambitious college students in Cambridge, Massachusetts, and then they become co-founders of a video game company. While their shared love of video games brings them together, their story is also about failure and creativity and disability and the complicated romantic love between friends. Let's start off with a voicemail from a listener. Here is Emily. I loved the book. I think I devoured it in like two days. Um, Here's why I loved it. It gave me just a completely new perspective on gaming and the creativity and artistry that goes into it from music to graphics to sound to um, yeah, character development and um, editing. And it, that part was really, really just fascinating to me. I literally hold up in a hammock for two days um, and finish this book and didn't basically ignore everyone else around me. And when I finished it, I was like, wow, I give, like, I have this bias against gamers. Like, oh, they're just holed up in dark basement, like ignoring the world around them. And there I was sitting in a hammock, ignoring the world around me. So I think it sort of made me realize, like, you know, I read to escape and people game to escape. I loved that so much. I can kind of relate, though. I don't know. As a person who doesn't play video games, I still understand that they mostly are about story, which I think this book conveys really beautifully, too. Now, I know y'all are both video game nerds. Yes. I'm really <laughs> curious how you thought it worked. Jason, what do you think? Oh, gosh. I, I, I think it really gets at something kind of essential about the way people interact with games, which is the feeling of really deep satisfaction 
of playing through a world where you're in control, you can leave Mm -hmm. it whenever you want, that you're accomplishing things, you understand the rules. There's a lot of talk about the rules and the fairness of the rules Mm -hmm. and how life in this book, uh, Sam talks about this and thinks about this, how, how the rules of life are essentially unfair, but in the game you can create fair rules. That's a part of what is so appealing. It's a world that you can understand. And when you find the loopholes in it, those are free and uh, accessible for anyone to use. That's so interesting. So, Amber, you also are a gamer. Mm-hmm. How did it read? To, I mean, partly I thought I, I loved it so much because this is one of those books that felt to me sort of like it is about video games, but it also isn't at all about video games. And yeah. so, you know, well, how did it work for you? Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, I felt the same way. I think, you know, it was it was interesting on two levels because on one level, you know, I just identified so much with the with with the book because um, and particularly with Sadie because mm. they're the characters are all right around my age. And mm-hmm. so their entire evolution of of gaming, as particularly mm-hmm. Sadie's, was very similar to the games that I played and the games that I enjoyed. And, you know, King's Quest was also uh, the first game, you know, that I played that had a, a female protagonist. And so there was there was a lot of stuff that I just on that on that level, I was like, you know, just like, yes, um, when I was reading this, um, <laughs> you know, but also uh, I really loved there's this there's this line that I actually wrote down from the book because I loved it so much. Um, where, you know, I think Sam is talking about how video games provide the expectation that the world could shift at any time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that because that's, to me, uh, that's some, that's the thing that's really exciting, not just about playing games, is is sort of having all of these different perspectives and being able suddenly, you know, the world changes completely. You go down a pipe and you're in, you're in an ice world or a <laughs> underwater world, um, you know, and, and then suddenly you have to figure out the solution to that and what to do with it. But I think also, um, you know, it's, it was interesting to me as a reader because I feel like I, I can tell when I read a book, if the person who's writing the book plays video games or not. Mm, um, totally. There yeah. is something that I think when you grow up playing games that there mm-hmm. is, you, you we write a book and in a way it almost is structured in a lot of ways like a game. And you do sort of throw yeah. these these paradigm shifts in um, and to see kind of how your reader will deal with them and which, in a way that's kind of fun and, um, you know, gamifying it, I guess. I loved how much the structure shifted with every game. I didn't think it worked in every single instance, but I thought it was such a cool like narrative trick. And I definitely want to talk about it. But first, let's listen to this voicemail from Ashley in Illinois. I do play video games and I felt it was very obvious that the author appreciates video games as an art form and also appreciates what they can do for people and how powerful they can be. I loved the idea of playing with someone being intimate When you're playing with someone, you are vulnerable. They're going to see you struggle and lose and get frustrated, but they're also going to see you persevere and win. You get to see so many sides of a person when you're playing together. I liked the chapters that were written in the style of the games where the two sides chapter had both Sam and Sadie's perspectives of the same time period and the Pioneers chapter being the in-game interactions. I loved it. I don't know what rating system we're using, but I give it 10 out of 10 Donkey Kong arcades. <laughs> I just thought that was those were great insights to the idea of sort of like the intimacy of play. Um, what did you think about 
the structure of this book, though, I think the Pioneers one was the one that worked the least well for me. I don't know if it was partly just because I knew we were getting close to the end and it was like I just needed to know what happened. Mm -hmm. But otherwise, I mean, either way, it seemed like such a cool artistic stretch as an author to get to play in those worlds. And to your point, Amber, I think it really is testament to how much how clear it is that Gabrielle loves gaming, you know? Yeah, for sure. I have a clear preference when I write and when I read. I love intricate, interesting structures. Um, Mm -hmm. I think it's fun as a reader. And I also just love writing. So I I was just thinking as I was reading this, how much fun she probably was having writing (laughs) this book. I I, I agree. I was the pioneers, I think, worked the least for me. Not and, and it was like fun like like once I'd read it and I realized what was going on mm, at the end that yeah. I was like, oh, and I went back and I read it again and it was a lot more fun. But I think mm. when I read it the first time I was kind of, I was like in the same place you are where I was like, oh, I really need to know what's going to happen to these characters that I care so much about. And now I'm in this game and I'm, you know, not sure, like yes. not sure what's happening. And it's all very, you know, sort of slow and pioneery and Oregon. Which trail-y. makes it right. There's like a sparseness to it that yeah. totally tracks. But it was also like, oh, God, this is kind of a slog. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's really funny. I'm also delighted to hear that you imagined that she had fun writing it because I did, too. And I actually asked her about that. And she was like, to be clear, this is not fun. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, okay, I appreciate that distinction. And she kind of described it as, I forget the exact phrasing that she used, but it's sort of like very intense concentration. She even compared it to sort of like Michael Jordan playing or something, which is like, okay, fair. Like, yeah, you're like, I understand that you are also working your ass off, but it does. I don't know. I think it, you know, comes back to that, just that idea of like, what a celebration of play this Mm -hmm. book ends up being. I like that structure as well. For me, it really got its hooks into me in the both sides uh, mm-hmm. segment where it was where you're following Sam and Sadie almost as uh, from a first person perspective that really let you understand and feel like the heartbreak of their kind of like emotional separation that was presaging mm-hmm. what was to come. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and it felt very true to, you know, I think anybody that's ever tried to create something with a team mm-hmm. who have been unified in that yeah. mission has felt like I'm not being taken seriously. My ideas aren't being taken. This person is hogging up all the limelight. Am I hogging mm-hmm. up all the limelight? Is this fair? Uh, and those thoughts have a way of just curdling and turning poisonous over time. And you could really mm-hmm. feel it in that chapter. And I agree with you. You know, like we're going to agree on a lot of stuff, I think. Uh, pioneers. <laughs> but, you know, by the time you get to Pioneers, you're like, okay, just tell, I, I need to know. You know <laughs> I got to know. Yeah, exactly. I got to like, know. How does it? <laughs> got to yes. know what's happening. And, of course, yeah. like yeah. the effort of building a whole ass game to reach out is beautiful but it's just like oh (laughs) okay let's listen to another voicemail here is sally i'm known amongst my friends for being a super fast reader but when i read tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow i lingered on the prose of gabrielle zevin the book is absolutely mesmerizing it takes you over decades in the lives of sam and sadie who sound like they should be a vaudevillian couple and they are beautifully drawn characters along with characters that aren't quite main characters like marks and their families and to say that i loved this book is an understatement it was just a tour de force and i'm someone who does not like gaming or really know anything about gaming but it's just an epic novel 
I'm curious for both of you if there was a moment where you knew you were all in on it. Because I, for me, it did take me a little longer than I thought it might. And it was, it was when she described that game, The Solution. And that's when I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> what about y'all? Jason, was there like a specific moment? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was the, uh, actually, it was when we started to learn about their influences. And, you know, the the way that Zevin describes the, the experience of playing Metal Gear <laughs> uh, and other games, I really felt deeply that kind of idea of, of this need to make something. I'm going to make something mm-hmm. great. What is that like? Yeah. You know, and, and understanding where that came from for these characters is what really hooked me in the, in the story. Hmm. I think, too, that excitement of meeting someone who you want to make something with. You know, yeah, that's just really exciting. Amber, what about you? Was there a specific moment? You know, actually, it's it's probably it was probably the solution moment for me as well, because right? like, <laughs> I you know, I loved I, I think also, you know, as soon as I read like the Emily Blaster game, I was like, OK, mm, that's yeah. awesome. Um, I love that. But <laughs> which is a game, by the way. Did you know that? I did not. They made it. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's it amazing. was like part of their publicity push. Oh they made it. It's very difficult. I have to play it. I have to play it. <laughs> But I loved Solution because I was thinking, you know, it made me realize how deep, um, not not the research, but the love that for games that the that the mm-hmm. author had, and just this, and the love for this sort of idea of creation. Um, and you know, there's this game. There's this game called Papers, Please, which is sort of this famous game. Um, I love that game. Yes, and and it's <laughs> Solution totally reminded me of Papers, Please, and I was just yeah. thinking about. You know, I bet that's, you know, was part of the influence here. And also at the same time, I thought, you know, I, there's, there's something about uh, being very young and making something like that. You know, I did something very similar to Solution uh, when I was a theater major in college Uh, and it, but with a warehouse and a a sort of, you know, it was ill-advised to say the least and um i have so many questions and people complained about it very in a very similar way actually um and uh and i was and i was so i was instantly like oh my god this person like gets you know sort of the evolution of thinking and and the excitement of creation and like mm. also that excitement of like provoking something and trying yeah. to provoke people a little bit too and then i was like okay i'm in I loved the the mention of Papers, Please. So in that game, you are like a government official in a fascist country who has to to process the the paperwork of various people who are trying to immigrate or move around the country. And something about the way the game asks you to stamp these papers, you know, yes or no, it's pretty simple mechanic, but something about the way that you are stamping these things and, and understanding that a character that comes before you it like maybe desperately needs to leave the country. Right. It makes you complicit in this system. Mm-hmm. And it and it really revealed something to me about the structure of things and the way they shape the our, our lives. Mm-hmm. That was really profound. I think about that game all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and it's interesting too, because it really that's the first time I think that that the author starts sort of hitting on this theme of what would happen if you had made a different choice and, and sort mm-hmm. of this idea of like branching narratives and, you know, the things that, that, you know, that it's a theme that resonates throughout the book, right. With, um with Sam's mom and with all these little choices that everyone mm-hmm. makes and how their lives, their lives could have been different. You know, the choices that lead to Marx's death or don't. And, mm-hmm. um and that's, I think the first time that that sort of 
they start hitting on that. Yeah, that is really cool. So I really loved uh, what this book says about creativity in a lot of different ways. We sort of just hinted about the idea of, of criticism and how inevitable it often is. I think also failure, though, plays such a huge role in this book and is just fascinating. I mean, I remember I even talked to Gabrielle about this, too, that moment where Sadie goes out to lunch with Dove and it's like well after their relationship has ended and I definitely want to unpack that guy because holy shit <laughs> but um, but he gives her some really good advice around like listen it's okay that this version didn't work out like now you get to take a minute and regroup and mm-hmm. you can figure out the next thing like this is absolutely part of the process I just thought it was actually kind of a lovely little pep talk from a guy who seemed like kind of a monster <laughs> yeah he's complicated though I mean <laughs> You know, that that moment, it always strikes me that I, failure is absolutely part of the creative process. That's so yeah. true. Yeah. But it always strikes me that the people who frame it the way Dove frames it are the people who can fail a million times Ooh. and never feel it. You know, there is, really something, there is something really present when you're in it trying to make a thing and maybe you haven't made your reputation yet or your bank account or what have you. Mm-hmm. And you feel like if I don't bring this thing into the world, I'm finished. I'm done. I don't know what happens next. And I and it's and it's really hard to hear. Oh yeah, failures. Yeah, just move on. It's really hard yeah. to hear that in that moment. Um, yeah. And I and Dove, I don't know what makes that person tick at all. Other than it seems like they move through the world like the way people move through games. They can go here and go there and yeah. decide to uh, decide to interact with this relationship or not. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and the stakes are very low for a person like Dove. Everybody's an NPC in their world. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. Yeah. It seems like there's a, a real entitlement to him that is extremely frustrating to watch. I don't know. It was also kind of fascinating to me that some of the advice he gave wasn't actually terrible though, you know? Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he's, you know, I think he is a good teacher because he has this sort of purity of thought around the idea of creation <laughs> and, and what it, and the selfishness that it takes to create something, yeah. right? I mean, it's there mm-hmm. is a there is a a real selfishness when you are creating something and particularly, you know, whether it's writing a book or 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 making a game, you know, there's there's this like focus and that you have to get into and Mm. this world that you have to immerse yourself in 24 seven and kind of shut everyone else and their needs out. Um, which is, you know, (laughs) he was very good at doing so. (laughs) I love that that was like so much veiled criticism. It's just, that was perfect. You did great with that. So speaking of NPCs, we should talk about Marx. That section is gorgeous. I Mm -hmm. definitely cried. I talked to a friend who at first especially was worried that Marx was too good and too perfect to exist in this book, which I thought was really interesting. He I mean, in a lot of ways, there is a certain simplicity to him, right, where he is just like he just wants to help and is just so full of admiration and love. Um, But I don't know. I don't think I was particularly frustrated by that. Um, Did Marx work for you as a character, Jason? Oh, yeah. You know, I think that there is something intoxicating about being part of something, Mm. being near being near something. You don't have to be the driving force that is that is uh, creating whatever the thing is. But just being around it, being in the room sometimes is exciting. And I and and 
fulfilling in a way that's deep and like really, really hard to explain. And I think Marx captured that. That was Marx. He saw, he had a perspective that allowed him to see, oh, these, these two people together, this thing that they're making, uh, here's why it's great. Here's why people will love it. And I want to just help. I want to be there. Um, and I just, I really, I empathize with that. I felt that. Yeah. I mean, just that last paragraph of that section where, you know, he has the option to play again and he looks over all, like I, I was flipping through the book today and saw it again and cried again just because it was like, God damn it. Like, this is beautiful. Yeah. That section was, uh, that was, that was, <laughs> it was hard to read. I mean, it was, it was great. Oh it God. was beautiful. Yeah. But yeah, I was like, yeah. oh, especially when I, when I realized where it was going, I was like, oh God. Yeah. Um, I think at some point, I feel like somebody says this about him, that he's just like interested in everything. And I think that people like that, whose driving thing tends to be curiosity, tend to be more generous because they, they, you know, they see sort of all these different amazing creative things happening and they just want to be part of that. And I think he was a good sort of, I don't don't know, foil, I guess, for Dove in a way, because I felt like (laughs) Dove was very much this sort of like id, you know, selfish figure who was like, you know, you go into yourself and you make this thing happen. And that's, that's what you do. And and I think Marx was Mm. sort of the opposite of that. He's like, I'm gonna, you know, help make things happen, help other people make their things happen. Yeah, that's really cool. Okay, we should take a break. But first, let's listen to two more voicemails. Hey, Nerdette. This is Kara from Colorado. I found it to be such a sweet and poignant picture of what it is to be in relationship with people. I also love that it has now inspired in me a desire to use Oregon Trail humor in my daily life. Uh, my coworkers all say, thank you. I'm John from Kara, North Carolina, and I noticed that Zevin has a penchant for unusual words that had me run into the dictionary, or at least my phone's assistant. Tautology, palimpsest, and my favorite, don't know if I'm even pronouncing this right, pursuit. Oh, all such great vocab words. More on tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow in just a minute. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Uh, Let's listen to another voicemail. Here is Liz in Minnesota. Very, very excited that you picked Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow, uh, one of my favorite books I've read so far this year. Uh, And yes, I say the full title every single time. So I always call it Tomorrow and Tomorrow and Tomorrow. I figure if Gabrielle Zevin was going to name it that, then that's what I should call it. Um, 
Also in this book, I really appreciated uh, the, the smaller Jewish representation in it. And by smaller, it's not that it was small Jewish representation. It's simply the fact that it was not a big deal about it, right? Like the way that you see so many characters written about like, you know, quick comment about Christmas, whatever. You definitely knew that there were Jewish characters in this book um, without it being a book about Judaism. And I just always really appreciate that. Yeah, from a similar kind of point of view, the the depiction of of Asian Americanness, uh, mm. just it, everything felt very very lived in, uh, mm. in a way that I appreciated. It felt like real life, what it feels like to be maybe between a couple of worlds. Um, I, I really resonated with me. Yeah, I feel like she does that in a lot of different ways. And I could see Jason, especially, you know, given the fact that both Sam and Marks are Asian American, but like have such different experiences with that and what that means too. like it just seemed like it was, you know, it's like, oh, there's a variety of experiences from which we can, you know, like be inspired. I thought it was really cool. It totally there's there's a moment where uh, I think uh, uh, Marx wonders, why am I, there's a play going on, he's uh, trying to get cast in, mm, and he's like, yes. why am I a Laertes and not a Hamlet? And then uh, someone has to explain to him, that's oh, because you're, you're Asian. Uh, and he's both upset, but also happy that someone told him like what the deal was, and that just felt very true to life to me. Oh, God. Uh, we got a voicemail from Allie in Mississippi who wanted to talk about the relationship between Sam and Sadie, which I thought was really lovely. Let's take a listen. I actually managed to finish a book club pick in time to call in, so here I am. I loved, loved, loved this book. It's so clever and well-paced, and I adored the homage to Stardew Valley. On a more personal note, um, I'm asexual, and I just loved the way this book explores non-romantic or non-sexual relationships. None of the characters are explicitly ace, but it felt in that spirit of celebrating all kinds of different relationships. Um, there's a really lovely moment when Marks and Sadie visit Sam in the hospital and the narrative kind of beautifully pans out to the nurse trying to decide how these three people are related and she concludes that none of them are romantically involved but she lets them stay past visiting hours and that moment just really meant everything to me um, as did a lot of the attempts to think through the limits of language like friendship and love. I've thought a lot about what kinds of relationships I'm seeking in my life and how to find ones that are fulfilling. And the way this book offers up creative partnership as a complicated but rewarding option really moved me. I now wonder if I'm not a Sam in search of a Sadie or a Sadie in search of a Sam and have realized that maybe all of us need a Marks in our lives. I loved that so much. I am really fascinated to hear from each of you how you felt about the ending. Cause I mean, there is a version of this book that ends with the two of them being together and it's a different book. Yeah. Are you happy with how it ended Amber? Oh yeah. Yeah. I feel, I mean, I feel like I would have been, I would not have wanted to burn where they annoyed. ended up together. It would have been way, like <laughs> artificial. Yeah. It was interesting because I liked the way that their relationship was platonic. And there's a couple of points uh, one particular, I think, but there's a couple points where they talk about how what we have is better than romantic love. Like, I yeah. love you more yeah. than yeah. I would love a, a lover, you know, and um, and it's something deeper. And I think um, and it's and it's interesting because I think that in some ways for me contrasted really nicely with the simplicity of the Marx character, where I felt like hmm. things were simpler for him. You know, he just he knew what he wanted and he had you know, this sort of abiding curiosity. And 
Sam is a very complex person. And I felt like, um, you know, for him and to have a relationship with him, it didn't need to necessarily include sex uh, because it just wasn't that simple. And it would have been even more complicated in their already sort of complicated relationship. Mm -hmm. It it would have been pretty annoying, I think, if they ended up (laughs) together. Especially Um, as pioneers. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. You know, what does Sadie say? I think it's, uh, you know, love is common, true collaborators in this life are rare or something to that extent. And I, and I, I really felt that. And I feel, you know, I think the way I read it was the initial meeting in Boston that felt like there might be some longing there, a little bit of something, Yeah, but very quickly that changes to their relationship, their collaborative relationship, their collaborative partnership and the depth of that. And I think, you could feel Sam at times weighing, talking about the full extent of his feelings, but also understanding that it's not that's the the potential chaos that that could unleash is not mm-hmm. worth what they currently have. And I yeah. think that that uh, that felt very very relatable. Man, it would have been it would have felt really cheapened if they got together romantically <laughs> yeah. at the end of this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think so, too. It's funny because that also reminds me of a quote that love is a constant and a variable, which is also just a really gorgeous concept, I think, around how much relationships can and will change over time and how that can be really painful and beautiful, too. You know? Yeah, definitely. Um, Okay, so let's I think we should go back to the NPC section for a moment because we got two voicemails that both felt really strongly about that. We'll hear first from Kali in Pennsylvania and then from Rachel in Indianapolis. I have tons of opinions and thoughts on all the different things going on in that book, but there's just not enough time in this message to do a deep dive. So the one thing I do want to bring up is the NPC chapter. I thought it was one of the most beautifully written chapters in the book. And just the way that it handled such a tragic event. Oh, I was I was kind of no good after I read that chapter. It was <laughs> so devastating, but so beautiful. Hi, Nerdette. It's Rachel from Indianapolis. I loved it so much. The one thing I really want to call out, though, is the NPC chapter. I was blown away by how just that transition happened because I feel like so often, and I actually even thought this when Mark's, when it was like, oh, Mark's, he's probably going to die. And then I was like, here we go. Like, we're going to do this kind of thing. And it just, it's, I was like, please don't be predictable. And then it wasn't, it was beautiful. It was interesting. It was unique. It was so crushing, but also just, it was wonderful. Thank you so much. Great pick. Can't wait for next month. I just loved those both so much. I don't know, though. I mean, one thing we didn't talk about about that section, too, is the fact that I think that's the moment where we really see Zevin nod to the darker side of gaming, too. Mm-hmm. And the, you know, the mm-hmm. the racism and misogyny and intolerance that can also exist in this world. Yeah. Which isn't specific to gaming by any means, but does seem like it can thrive there. You know, there was like a good um, period of my life where I stopped playing games. Mm. And it was actually because, um, you know, so much of gaming became about sort of first person shooters and people with headsets on saying incredibly misogynistic, racist, you know, homophobic things. 
Um, and it was like a huge turnoff and I actually didn't, you know, really discover games again until, um, you know, like a few years later when I was started, you know, playing some of these other open world kind of games again and going, oh mm-hmm. yes, this, it, it felt unsettling to read, um, in a lot of different ways. And then of course, once you realized where it was going, um, you know, it was, it was even more unsettling and tragic. There's something so intimate and personal about games where it's your own world that it creates this place where I think people just feel like uh, this is my world. I can say whatever I want in here. It just goes mm-hmm. into the black void mm-hmm. and it doesn't really matter like a game because when I turn it off, it's gone. And yeah. uh, and how dare you tell me what I can do in my own uh, little bubble of reality? And I think that creates a lot of this toxicity. And I think to Amber's point, it. it it's it's unsettling and it feels unsettling like a like a window into the absolute worst part of the human condition and it's there and it's screaming in your ear it was terrible but i think the other thing that this the chapter um really exemplifies is the power of these kind of like small kindnesses that are that are depicted here and and hmm. you know just small comments of affirmation and the way those things can really buoy a person's soul um it's a it's a heartbreaking chapter heartbreaking yeah yeah there was there was a really interesting I, I was thinking about this as I was reading it because um you know my my mom died a few years ago and mm, I'm sorry oh, thank you and and uh I was playing just recently I started playing this game called hindsight that just came out um on the switch and uh it's like a you know sort of a story game and it's this you know narrator who who goes um the protagonist who goes to her mom's house after her mom has died and is like cleaning out her house and there's like sort of all this all this stuff that's that's memories that are surfacing and it's actually very clever the way that it's done she like uses sort of mirrored surfaces to to go deeper into this world but um but uh, I was thinking about that as I was reading this chapter, actually, and thinking about how games in and of themselves are can be so cathartic. Um, and the idea of sort of entering these other worlds um, and how, you know, Mark sort of does that. And it's and there is this sort of, you know, it is sort of almost this idea of an afterlife. Right. But 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 in the game world. Um, and that was incredibly beautiful to me, I thought. That's gorgeous. Are there any other games you might recommend for someone who really enjoyed this book, Amber? Um, I mean, yeah, there's a, you know, <laughs> there's a million. Um, <laughs> it's, you know, a very depressing game, but <laughs> but What Remains of Edith Finch. Oh, yeah. Um, had, you know, has this sort of um similar way of sort of dealing with grief uh and death and and sort of what could be or what could have been. Um and and isn't really interesting game again very dark there's also a game called um uh spirit fair that i was playing recently it's actually funny because my daughter was playing it um and it's like you have to you have your death and you have to like ferry all these people after they've died across um to to like the you know world beyond or whatever and you have to like Mm -hmm. do all these little kindnesses for them to make them happy so like bring them food and give them nice things to 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 look at and do huh that's awesome what do you think jason those are all those are all wonderful recommendations i would add firewatch which is a game that came out uh maybe five years ago it has one of the most bracing tutorial 
levels. It's you know it opens with this kind of cold open that teaches you how to play the game. That is. Re- very affecting at dropping you into the mind of this character that you're going to play, who then goes off and works as a uh, as a fire watch watcher, one of the people in a tower who makes sure that the the wildfires aren't breaking out and informs when they are breaking out. And he strikes up a platonic, uh, semi romantic, uh, emotional relationship with another per- another uh, person in a tower, and they Whoa. it is affecting in a way that is just really deep. Oh, that sounds really good. Writing that down too. <laughs> I love that. Um, I would also love to hear if y'all have other book recommendations for something that, you know, if somebody read this one and they liked that they should check out the one that came to my mind, which is very different, but similar in some ways is how high we go in the dark by Sequoia Nagamatsu oh, yeah. last year. And I don't know what it is about. I think, it, I, I mean, that's a, they're a collection of short stories that are all intertwined. I think that must be it is that there's sort of a, a game element to figuring out how all of these different characters are connected and what's happening. It's an amazing book because it's quite short, but he accomplishes so much, I think, especially also around the power of story. Yeah. Which is which is also obviously super resonant with this one. You read it, Amber? Yeah, yeah, it was a fantastic oh, so book. Um, I think that's interesting too because it it, I, it made me, it makes me think about when I think about that book, I think about NPCs because um, there's oh, so funny. many Perfect. people that you're like, <laughs> I don't really know. This person's kind of got a small role, and I don't really know what their deal is. And you know, they're but you know, maybe in the next story, it's it's a bigger role. And and yeah, it's really cool that way. Oh, it's so good. I thought of um, Charles Yu's How to Live Safely in a Science Fictional Universe. Um, cool. I mean, he's also interior Chinatown. I mean, really just yes. because he does um, yeah. such a good job of like sort of like this play, this idea of play in his books and stories. But um, mm. but yeah, that one for some reason, I think probably partially because it does deal with grief and it does deal with um, loss uh, and it does deal with sort of this idea that you, if you could just change one thing, but, you know, you could change everything somehow. Awesome. I'm excited to check that one out. Jason, what do you think? You know, I think it's something about the kind of the narrative structure of these kind of like loosely linked, seemingly loosely linked chapters that made me think of A Visit from the Goon Squad, some years oh, old oh, now yeah, by yeah. Jennifer Egan. Classic. But, um, but affected me in much the same way where a lot of the punch is discovering what the connection is as you mm. kind of go deeper into the chapter. Um, oh my God. And that PowerPoint, I think about that thing yes. all the time. <laughs> all the time. That, <laughs> the I mean, that is very gamey, very interactive. Uh, and that book just knocked me out. Um, okay. So we are going to do a uh, completely arbitrary rating system for this book. For this one, I think we should do tomorrow's, which means absolutely nothing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) But uh, obviously the book is starting with three tomorrow's. I mean, I guess we could go to infinite tomorrow's. Obviously, we didn't think about this very much. (laughs) Um, Amber, how many tomorrow's would you give this book? (laughs) Uh, All all the tomorrow's? (laughs) That seems reasonable. That's beautiful. So forever is what you're saying. Exactly. Forever. All the tomorrows, I love it, Jason. What do you think? Yeah, I'm gonna, I'm going to uh, go to a a, a standard four slash five structure, and I give it five out of five tomorrows. (laughs) (laughs) I I respect the rules that you have imposed on the tomorrow system. I think that's entirely reasonable. Well, oh my gosh, Jason, Amber, thank you both so much for coming on and talking with me about this gorgeous book. It was very fun. Thanks for having me. 
Yeah, this is great. that's it for book club this month thanks to all of you who read along with us and of course extra special bonus thanks to all of you who called in with your thoughts rachel liz kara john emily Kali, ali ashley and sally y'all are the best thank you so much our october book club selection is celeste ing's our missing hearts this just happens to come out on the first tuesday of the month which also just happens to be the day that you can hear a spoiler free conversation with Celeste Ng that comes out on October 4th. The show is produced by me and Anna Bauman. Brendan Banizak is our executive producer and Maggie Sivet builds our newsletter every week. We will see you on Friday. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.